Hey there, everyone. So do you ever get tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Do you ever get the urge to cut through the world of everyday surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths? Well, then maybe, just maybe, the wisdom of podcast is for you. Because in this podcast, we explore great works of philosophy and literature and art and try to pull out of them what's most interesting and invigorating and inspiring. Whether they come from the works of Plato, or Dostoevsky, or Picasso, here we explore ideas that move mountains and rock the soul. So, come join us, won't you? Come worship at the altar of ideas, and come celebrate the dancing of thought. And don't be afraid of the leaping sparks. As you can be certain of one thing, they will kindle the light inside of you. Welcome to the Wisdom of. Coming up today, my problem with Tolstoy's A Confession. everyone. I hope you're all doing well. And again, thanks for listening. So, before I start, I just wanted to mention, again, that I've started a YouTube channel. It's called Philosophy with a View. You can also access it through our website at wisdomofpod.com. So, uh, if you're interested, check it out. Okay, so in this episode, I want to try to say something about Tolstoy and his autobiographical memoir called A Confession. I have to admit something. That book always bugged me. Despite his uh, reputation as a venerated thinker, and I'm not saying his literary works aren't great, I actually think that much of what Tolstoy says in Confession is not only quite superficial, but just deeply problematic or concerning. So I I thought I'd uh, vent a bit in this episode, because I need to get this off my chest. But before I get into some of the details and some of my objections, let me first give a very brief synopsis of this memoir, so we have some uh, context to work with. Okay, well, so in the confession, Tolstoy writes about his, his lapse into depression in his early 50s. Basically, he talks about succumbing to a kind of nihilism or a sense of meaninglessness because he, for the first time, comes to fully realize not only the inevitability of his own death, but the eventual death or destruction of all things. This fact, this seeming futility of it all, the fact that there is no ultimate foundation or justification for his daily actions and his projects, paralyzes him and causes him to stop caring about everything, including his work, but also, remarkably, his own children. For, after all, they too will die. Well, in an attempt to get himself out of this, he starts to seek out answers to the question of the ultimate meaning of life. 
he spends time asking all sorts of experts, including philosophers and scientists. But to no avail. As much knowledge as they have, nothing they say is of any help. But then it dawns on him that most of the poor, less educated people throughout history have somehow lived perfectly meaningful lives. So, Tolstoy finally comes to understand that he's all the while been searching in the wrong place for an answer. What most people in history have had is, well, faith. And it's this that has sustained them and provided them with the foundation they needed. More specifically, what Tolstoy realizes is that the answer to the question of the meaning of life lies not in the domain of rational knowledge, a domain which would of course include the scientists. No, the answer lies in the realm of irrational knowledge. And this is what faith is for him, a form of irrational knowledge. And more precisely, what faith does for him is that it gives him the the intimation of the infinite, something beyond the impermanence that characterizes the physical world. Now, with a sense of the existence of the infinite in hand, Tolstoy finds the, the ultimate foundation and justification he needs, one that, as he says, is not destroyed by suffering, privation, and death. So, for him, it's faith that is the strength of life. And so, with faith, he can go on to live and to care about all the things that he had cared about before. Okay, so that's a very brief summary. But uh, now I want to get into some details. And in particular, this is an entire section or chapter that I want to say something about. Okay, so I mentioned that Tolstoy goes to the scientists to, to look for an answer to the meaning of life, right? Well, after that, what happens is that he decides to go look for an explanation from, from those people in his own circles with a similar education, hoping that they might be able to help him out. Well, what he discovers when he does this is that there are basically four different ways those people deal with this, this problem of meaninglessness that Tolstoy is struggling with. So, um, what are they? Well, okay, the first way is just by remaining ignorant about such big questions. In other words, these particular people just don't know. They're not aware that, to quote Tolstoy, that life is evil and meaningless. And because they don't know or ever inquire about such things, they're completely fine. So, ignorance is bliss. Now, that's clearly one way of avoiding despair. Tolstoy himself, however, says that he just can't learn anything from them. And that's because, unlike them, he's definitely not ignorant. He knows with absolute certainty that life is evil and meaningless. Okay, the second way of confronting the problem of meaninglessness that Tolstoy saw in those around him was just to, as he says, jump into Epicureanism. That's to say, if life is meaningless, then we may as well just live hedonistically and enjoy ourselves. Now again, Tolstoy disagrees with this strategy too. And one reason he gives is that 
eventually, death destroys all these pleasures. In other words, you can't avoid suffering if you're a hedonist, he says. All those pleasures that you've tried to maximize will be taken away from you at death. Therefore, hedonism is not a good strategy either, he concludes. Okay, the third way of avoiding despair is pretty simple. It's to kill oneself. If life is evil and meaningless, then may as well destroy it. Better not to be. Tolstoy says this is the most worthwhile action to take, and it's the one that he has wanted to do. And um, finally, the fourth way of dealing with this evil and meaningless life is actually the worst one. It's the way of complete weakness, he says. It's when people know that life is evil and meaningless, they're aware of this, yet they continue to to drag it out anyway, knowing full well that nothing will ultimately come of it, knowing that there is no ultimate point to it at all. These are people who just don't have the courage and the strength to, to kill themselves, when really this is what they should do. And actually, this is the category Tolstoy places himself in. He knows he should end this fraud that is life, but he's just too weak to do so. Okay, wow. So, uh, what to say about this? Well, to be honest, there's so much here I find problematic that I, I think I could write a whole book on it. But um, since that's not what we're doing here, let me just focus in on a couple of things that stick out to me as both questionable and very concerning. Okay, so let me start with Tolstoy's objection to what he calls Epicureanism, his objection to the life of pleasure, which was the second way he said people confront or distract themselves from the problem of meaninglessness. Now, remember, he objected to this strategy for this reason. He said that if you live to maximize pleasure, you will only suffer when death deprives you of more. Well, so here's the thing. I don't think Tolstoy understands what Epicureanism is. You see, for Epicurus, there's a limit or a ceiling to pleasure. For him, hedonism has nothing to do with the the desire for more and the constant pursuit of the pleasurable and the mentality that nothing is ever enough. Sure, if that was your particular strategy in life, then, then yeah, you're going to be upset and suffer when age and death deprives you of the more and more pleasure that you're always after. But again, this is not Epicurus's view. For him, the pleasurable life is not about maximization. It's not about quantity. It's about quality, and it's about a life of simplicity. For him, there is such a thing as enough. For him, the truly pleasurable life is such that we have no desire for more, since more cannot give us anything that we do not already have. Now, there is deep wisdom in this, to be without the need for more, to see life as sufficient unto itself to be happy and grateful for what you have without seeking after the infinite. I wonder if, in his own way, Tolstoy could learn from this. Okay, that aside, 
What I want to really focus in on is this claim that Tolstoy keeps repeating over and over, that life is evil and meaningless. So, let's start with this idea that it's, uh, it's evil. Now, why is it evil exactly? I mean, sure, life is sometimes a mixed bag of goods. It's often not straightforward. It's often ambiguous. It's very often anxiety-producing. But why is it evil? Certainly, Homer wouldn't agree. After all, we're told by Achilles that it's better to be a slave of a poor man than to be king of the underworld. And neither would Rousseau, who extols what he calls the the sweet sentiment of existence, the simple pleasure of being alive. And uh, neither would Albert Camus, who tells us that there is only one sin in life, and that is to hope for another life while avoiding the implacable grandeur of this one. So, evil? That might be going a little too far. Okay, but let's get to the second part of the claim that Tolstoy makes. What he says is that life is meaningless. Now, this, I think, can be made greater sense of. That claim has some traction. But here's the thing. I think it only makes sense if we make an important distinction with respect to types of meaning. So, to put it bluntly, I would say that there are two types of meaning. On the one hand, there's what we might call ultimate or transcendent meaning. And on the other, there's what we might call local or imminent meaning. Transcendent meaning says something like, whatever meaning our life has is totally dependent on or justified by something outside of us, outside of this world. For Tolstoy, outside of the world of becoming. On the other hand, imminent meaning says that the meaning of our life comes entirely from within, from inside this world, and not from something external to it. Okay, now, it's pretty clear that when Tolstoy says that life is meaningless at this stage in his autobiography, what he means is that because we're all going to die, and because death and destruction is a feature of the universe at large, then there's just no way to ground any meaning in our lives. There's no way to justify caring about anything. Why bother to care if we all end in stench and worms and the universe itself eventually succumbs to a big freeze. Better to kill oneself. Tolstoy then fails to recognize any imminent meaning. And of course it turns out that the only way he can come to give life any significance is by going on to adopt a faith, by believing in some transcendent reality that, as he says, is not destroyed by suffering, privation, and death. In other words, the only way Tolstoy can make any sense of life is if it has an ultimate or transcendent meaning. If it doesn't, if there's no ultimate point outside of this life, then any and all meaning is absent. This is why he's so hard on that fourth group of people he mentions. You know, the weak ones. Those who continue to drag life out, despite knowing that nothing will come of it. Well, here's the thing. Maybe he shouldn't be so hard on that fourth group. No, maybe they know something that he doesn't. 
Maybe they continue to care and live life fully precisely because they know that there is nothing that comes after it. And maybe they are able to respond with love to the things and the people in their life precisely because they understand that they're precious and ephemeral. And maybe they know that more time, infinite time, doesn't add any more value to things. Maybe they accept and embrace that all meaning is imminent. I don't know. At the end of the day, I think there's something pathological or even borderline sociopathic about giving up on things and not caring about one's children anymore because you realize that both you and they will one day die. Actually, I would say that if the only way you can come to care about others is if that concern is anchored in or justified by some kind of ultimate or transcendent meaning or source, then, well, you don't really care about others. When it's all said and done, my feeling is that, at the end of the day, Tolstoy's despair is a result of a lack of gratitude. You see... For him, ultimately, it's only faith that restores to particular finite things their value. But this is to get it backwards. What it should be is this. It should be that it's the beauty of finite things that restores our faith in life. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com. And as usual, we love to read your questions and comments. Reach us at info at wisdomofpod.com or on Twitter at wisdom underscore pod. 